the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Art World Conference, a business and financial empowerment conference for artists and arts professionals. As cultural partners, we're bringing you an ongoing series of exclusive interviews with guest speakers, working artists, and business experts. Before we dive into this week's episode with special guests Heather Bendari and Dexter Wimberly, we wanted to let you know about Defining Values in the Art World, an online event presented by Art World Conference happening next Friday and Saturday, October 16th and 17th, 2020. We're also giving away two free tickets, so listen up to find out how to win. The conference features 37 speakers and 26 programs, including keynotes, artist interventions, panel conversations, discussion groups, workshops, and in-depth sessions centered around the theme of defining values. Amanda and I are excited to be introducing the speakers for two of the sessions, Cultural Value and Cultivating Solidarity, and How to Value the Intangible, Compensation for Live, Ephemeral, and Process Work. Beyond the Studio will also be performing a live podcast recording at the end of day one to share our reflections on the conference in real time. You can still get tickets to this event at artworldconference.com, and the best part is that you can attend online from anywhere in the world. So we're really excited to be announcing a giveaway of two free tickets to next week's virtual conference just for Beyond the Studio listeners. To enter, all you have to do is leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts by Tuesday, October 13th. We'll choose two Beyond the Studio listeners to win a free ticket to Defining Values in the Art World and announce the winners in an email newsletter on Wednesday, October 14th. So if you haven't joined our mailing list, be sure to do so at beyondthe.studio by heading over to our contact or about pages. Uh, You can also follow a link to do so in the show notes. And if you've already left us a rating or a review, thank you very much. You can just email us a screenshot to beyondthestudiopodcast at gmail.com and we'll include you in the running. I also just learned that every country has their own iTunes store. What? So if you're outside the United States and you leave us a review, we won't actually be able to see it. But because we have Beyond the Studio listeners all over the world, and we definitely don't want to exclude our international audience, please email us a screenshot of your review and we'll include it as well. So leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts by Tuesday, October 13th, and get entered to win a free ticket to the first virtual Art World Conference on October 16th and 17th, and sign up for our newsletter to find out if you won. Now on to the interview. Hello, and thanks for listening to Beyond the Studio. This episode, we are excited to welcome back two very special guests, Dexter Wimberly and Heather Bendari. You might remember that we interviewed them both over a year ago on the podcast leading up to the very first Art World Conference event in New York City. And if you haven't listened to that episode, it's called Dexter Wimberly and Heather Bandari Talk Self-Empowerment and Financial Literacy and the Inaugural Art World Conference in NYC. And I'd highly suggest you go back and listen to that interview first because I think it will really set the stage for this conversation. And we talked about a lot of important topics that are still 
actually more relevant today, like how the current dynamics of the art world don't necessarily give power to artists, why there's such a disconnect between artists and entrepreneurship, uh, or in other words, why many artists still find themselves struggling to make ends meet and the starving artist myth um, that is still so pervasive. And this is, of course, why Dexter and Heather started Art World Conference to bring more financial empowerment to artists everywhere. Um, but I'll let them tell you more about that in their own words. Last year in 2019, Amanda and I attended the first conference together in New York, where we were able to meet Heather and Dexter in person. And since then, we've been collaborating on some episodes of Beyond the Studio and become cultural partners of Art World Conference this year. But we'll get into all of that later. This is also the first time that we've had recurring guests on the show. So we are really excited for the depth of our conversation today. Um, so let's just dive right into it. Heather and Dexter, welcome back. Thanks for having hey, us. Yeah, thanks for having us back, guys. Well, I thought just to frame this conversation, it might be helpful um, for listeners that are unfamiliar with Art World Conference. Um, and if they haven't listened to the initial interview that we all did together, if we could just start with that, the original mission of the conference, um, because I think this is also a main point of connection for all of us. So what inspired Art World Conference, and then maybe what were some of the beliefs or principles that formed the foundation of what that would become? Art World Conference was really born out of this idea that artists need the tools and information available to them to make better financial and business decisions, right? Um, it's been my observation, and I think Heather's observation, working as curators and, and working with galleries and art institutions over the years, that a lot of artists, whether they're young or mid-career artists, somehow um, manage to get into the throes of their career without having access to the information that they need to make sound financial decisions related to things like taxes and, you know, and sales and marketing themselves and just dealing with the business of being an artist. I think that just speaking quite personally, um, I spent a lot of time earlier in my art career as a curator talking one-on-one -on -one with artists about the challenges that they were facing in their, you know, not just in their studio, but in the world at large. And a lot of those challenges had to do with the fact that they didn't feel equipped to really like understand certain aspects of being, you know, more or less a small business owner. And there was a limit to how much I could as an individual do to help artists gather that information. And so Art World Conference really was born out of that, this sort of idea that we wanted to create a structure or rather an infrastructure that would allow people who have this information to share with artists that want it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, what attracted us initially to the conference um, as well. We had been having conversations through Beyond the Studio with other artists, kind of through the individual lens of their stories and career journeys. And so what really drew us to what you all were doing was creating a framework to provide the education and the really practical aspect of the skills and the resources that artists might need in order to develop the sustainable careers that we're always talking about. So we, I just right from the beginning, we're really excited to learn about um, what you all were doing before the very first conference. So I'm curious to hear, because you all have had several in-person sessions, um, and we'll definitely talk about all of the shifts of this year. But just in those first couple of events, what were you all learning or observing as far as, you know, what was working or maybe even surprising insights around some of the sessions or um, topics that you all were covering? I think that 
We went into it like hoping that a lot of things would happen and hoping there'd be connection amongst people, hoping that the speakers would be, I'm sure in the last episode we talked about this, like hoping they would be transparent and honest and helpful and open to the people there because it's a non-gated community, right? Anyone can attend who wants to. And like, how, how would that would the community form or would it be reinforced? And those were big questions we had going in. And I'll be honest that I was a little nervous about it. Like, how would that work? And in New York and in Los Angeles, I think we were really honored to have everyone show up and to do the things that we had asked them to do, which was, again, be honest and transparent and open and share and and be warm to one another. And I think in in large part it happened, which was really fantastic. And I think we saw potential in, in continuing this. Like that first one, when we talked to you last time, who knew if there'd be a second one? Like we, we didn't know. And so it was obvious after the first one that we did want to have a second one. And then after the second one that we wanted to continue and then there's COVID. So things yeah. had to shift pretty dramatically. But some of the things that I, I loved about the two conferences was actually involving artists doing interventions in them. That was like one of the high points for me was I think there was a lot of information in the workshops and the introductions to different topics that I think people really ran with after um, from what we've heard. But there were also these like really beautiful moments pre-COVID where like people were holding hands and like talking to one another and dancing together. And and we were in big groups outside and it was really lovely. So we're hoping to go back to that sometime soon. But until that happens, we're, we're trying really hard to sort of recreate those aspects that were really exciting to us that seem to actually coalesce and gel in person um, to try to recreate that online. That's a whole other part of this conversation that I'm sure we'll get to soon. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I would add to that in a way, there was a lot of skepticism, I think, around the first conference, not my skepticism or Heather's, <laughs> but I think there was a lot of skepticism about whether or not people would show up, right? Mm-hmm. And and I felt that, I felt that uh, in the sense that we were attempting to do something that hadn't quite been done before. I mean, certainly there are other organizations and entities that have attempted to bring sort of professional development to artists in different ways, different shape, forms, and fashions, both inside and outside of the academic setting. But what we were attempting to do was to create a scenario where the barrier to entry was uh, was quite low in terms of um, any artist who wanted to buy a ticket could buy a ticket. We weren't sort of saying, oh, you have to have an MFA or you have to have this long career or you have to have, you know, tons of money to buy a ticket. You know, we wanted to make it as accessible as possible. But at the same time, you know, we had heard from, you know, from some relatively close sources, oh, artists may not show up or they may not want to buy a ticket or they may, you know, all of these things. But I think that what Heather and I realized as we were building the conference, the first conference was that, you know, I think the word, the best word I can come to is like, it's sort of like meta in a way, in the sense that the conference was actually a reflection of the very thing that we were attempting to to sort of do, the living embodiment of what we were attempting to do. And that is, Two arts professionals, Dexter Wimberly and Heather Bendari, came together to create an event 
that would empower other artists and arts professionals by giving them entrepreneurial skills and business skills and information and know-how so that they could then go on to pursue whatever it is that they were attempting to do. And we were sort of in a way showing by example, if you follow me, it was like this whole idea of this self-referential thing where it's like, oh, you can work in the arts and actually be entrepreneurial. That's exactly what we were doing, right? So I think in a way people saw the sincerity, like they knew we were really invested in that, right? Making sure that the people who were panelists were, were people who really wanted to share. I think Heather already mentioned that. People who really wanted to be open and wanted to be generous. This wasn't about like grandstanding and sort of like coming in and talking about how great your organization is. It was really about, hey, I know that being an artist is tough. I know that being a young person working in the art world, whether you're an artist or sort of an arts professional is tough. Here are some things that I've learned along the way and I hope that that can help you, right? Like that's, that was kind of like the ethos of it was really about sharing. That makes so much sense, especially here now as we are cultural partners and, and we collaborate and work together because that so much was why Nicole and I wanted to start the podcast. It's like, we're trying to figure this out and we're two artists and we think we can figure it out. So we see the need, we we see the void, maybe we can help fill it while also learning in the process and trying to figure it out along the way. So we definitely identified that in you as well. Yeah. Oh, I was just curious to know um, if some of that skepticism was coming from artists themselves or where were you feeling that? Um, I'm wondering if that also has to do with one of those myths that maybe artists just aren't interested in, you know, sort of the business side of their own careers. Um, or were you getting some of this feedback from from other players in the quote unquote art world? Well, I mean, you know, I've reached this time in my life. It's almost impossible for me to not be completely frank. And I probably need to check that because uh, it might get me into trouble from time to time. But I'll just watch, be... Watch yourself. <laughs> I'll just but if you complete. need us to edit anything out, we will. <laughs> I'll just be frank and then you can, you can take it from there. It's nothing terrible. I think that to a large degree, there are a lot of people in the art world who are not necessarily interested in artists being self-empowered. Um, that's one, right? I think that the idea that artists should be able to make the decisions, career decisions, sound career decisions, whether they're represented by a gallery or not, that could have a profound impact on their future, or maybe they don't need a gallery to represent them at all, and they can just kind of take a different path to success. These are things that are kind of like pushing up against conventions, like normal. I don't know if you guys can hear that. I may need to answer this question again. Sorry, hang on a second. That's totally fine. <laughs> um, I'll just say that I think that there is, from my perspective, an internalization of some of these myths that's happened with a lot of people that we know. Even though we're working in this in this sphere where... And I'll talk about the people who talk about self-empowerment and empowerment for artists and equity and inclusion and all this stuff. And we talk about the starving artist myth and the, the soul genius myth and how destructive those myths are in the art world. Those same people that talk about those as being destructive, I've had conversations with them saying, you know, you can't charge a ticket price to artists because they're not going to pay it or you shouldn't charge a ticket. And then you talk about value and well, if we don't value someone's time and they don't value their own time, how are we going to expect other people to value time? And so there are these weird circular arguments that happen. 
that somehow the person has internalized the fact that we shouldn't pay each other. We shouldn't like, there isn't value in the stuff that we've done, even though they talk about the empowerment all the time. There's, it's, it's a, it's a weird um, conversation I've gotten into with certain people. I feel like there are a lot of contradictions that we're all working through right now. And we're in this transition moment, I feel, where we're acknowledging inequalities and systemic injustice and all the stuff that's surrounding us. But there's an internalization of those structures that we're having to break down. And, and it's really hard. And even for us, I mean, there are moments where we have these self, the self-doubt moments. And then you have to be like, no, 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 there are a million reasons why we're doing it this way. And we've already talked through them before. But yeah, I think, I think we're, we're in this transition where we have to like reinforce our values and really re, and really think through our decision-making so that we don't inadvertently uphold some of these things we're trying to work against. Right. And I, and I think there's, you know, I think there is a lot to be said about individuals, whether they're artists or people who work in the arts, making sort of a conscious decision to invest in their own skill set, making an investment in their own future. And I think that psychologically, one one benefits from making that kind of investment. And I'm not talking about that just in terms of Art World Conference or anything that we're doing. I just mean in general, if you see a course or some sort of like continuing education thing or something that you feel like you need to learn in order to become better at what you do and you pay for it and you get that knowledge and you move on, you feel like you've gained like, the, you know, like you, you, you've you uh, you've made an advance in your career and you've invested in yourself. And I think that there's some like benefit to that. And I think psychologically, there's probably a different relationship you have with certain things when when it's like sort of like free and given to you and you feel like, well, I'm not quite sure what the value was there. And I think that to Heather's point, um, as it relates to what we're doing, we're really just trying to chart a somewhat different course than what we've seen done before. And, and we know like it's not perfect and we don't, we don't necessarily know, you know, what the future holds for um, for Art World Conference or for anybody else for that matter, but we're very excited by the feedback we've gotten from people. I mean, I was, you know, emotionally overwhelmed by the response that we got from people from the first two conferences in terms of, you know, going into these things, not being quite sure how people will respond to the ideas that you're putting forth. But I think what we found was that this is the kind of information that people have sort of been looking for and in an environment that um, they felt sort of like welcomed and safe and, and, and very nurtured in, which is also very important to us. Yeah, I just want to return to that idea of these internalized beliefs that Heather mentioned too, because I think that, you know, any investment in your own education sort of signifies that you have a a vision for yourself that is maybe beyond where you are currently. And so I think that as artists, that's something that that artists hold space for all the time when it comes to the creation of their work. And so to think that, you know, we wouldn't have that same expectation or vision for our own lives and our own livelihood, I think is, is you know, a little disappointing. But sometimes you do just need that platform or that example of someone else to show an alternative or to share, you know, that there, there are support systems out there um, or that there is, you know, something greater to strive for. And so I think that's also something that, I appreciate about what you all are doing and about sort of gathering all these people in these conversations together because it does 
give artists another example of what kinds of expectations we might have for ourselves. Because I think we've all struggled with that, those internal mindsets. And I know even earlier today, Amanda and I were having a conversation about podcast rates and not necessarily abiding by industry standards, which tend to be fairly low and not really sustainable um, for the amount of work that also goes into creating a podcast. And so even just, you know, making a decision to kind of set our own standard and set our own rates for the organizations or or sponsors that we've worked with in the past. But, you know, when that gets called into question, that brings up a lot of self-doubt too. And then you're thinking, oh, should I actually be lowering this? Are we really worth that much? But, you know, really, I think creating a different expectation for the value that you bring is, I know it's an ongoing conversation that we have, but it's so essential to um, the work that we're doing. No, it's, it's all, it's all systems. I mean, we all, and we all operate within them. I think it's important for, um, for people who work in the arts, whether you're an artist or a curator or any other person working in the, in the arts independently to realize that there's no rule book that says your your fees have to be X, Y, or Z. I mean, I think it's up to you to determine what makes sense for you. Obviously, you want to pay attention to, you know, what's going on around you, but don't undervalue yourself. Um, and sometimes it, sometimes it really pays to put a premium on what you're doing. I do believe that. I will give a shout out to, you know, organizations like Wage who are trying really hard to set some sort of standard so that we have someone to point to. I feel like in other industries, there are sort of standard wages. There are standard, like at least economic value is somehow um, laid out for for certain professions. And we don't have that. And I, I feel like all of us like doing all this work that we're doing, working together, hopefully we'll come to some place where it doesn't seem so arbitrary for all of us because our time is worth something and our work is worth something and our thoughts are worth something. And we're dealing with, unfortunately, like decades upon decades of these stereotypes that like, if we enjoy our work, then why do we need to get paid? And it's absolute and it's absolute insanity because I mean, I, and I'm certainly far from the first person to say this, but you know, if someone, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that an artist has to have an MFA to be a, a serious artist, but I'm just going to use this for the sake of my example. If someone has an MFA and they're making art and someone comes to them and they say, and they say, Hey, would you be willing to, you know, give me a painting that I could, you know, just donate a painting free, you know, for free that I can do X, Y, and Z with, and you get nothing from it, but exposure. It's highly unlikely that someone would go to someone in another field, say law or medicine and do the same thing to them, right? They wouldn't ask them, you know, with a law degree, hey, would you come and sort of like litigate this case for exposure? Or would you operate on my son's (laughs) knee? for exposure. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting how within the arts, that kind of terminology still is so pervasive. Yeah. Don't they realize exposure cannot be deposited into a bank account? You cannot use it to purchase a house. You cannot use it to pay for health insurance. You cannot use it for anything. But people seem to think that exposure has monetary value as if they are interchangeable. And that's just not really the case. Right. And I also think that that's sort of like, uh, and not to get too in the weeds here, but it also has to do with the sort of the, the systemic histories within the art world that, that we're, you know, we're, we're in a way, I wouldn't go so far as to say that we're, you know, completely trying to dismantle like totally, but what we're attempting to do to some degree is to at least 
expose it in a way where people can make better decisions about what they want to do. So they don't, they don't sort of like give into this sort of like way of thinking that this structure is the way things have to be. Like I'm a fervent believer that history is being made every day. The way we interact with one another is changing every day. And there's no reason why the structure of the art world as we know it now will be the same way in 15 to 20 years. There's no reason to think that it'll be the same way. It will evolve. And I think that that's fine. And I think that that's healthy. Yeah. And if people weren't thinking about this a year or so ago when the first Art World Conference um, was getting off the ground, um, I think we're definitely all thinking about it now, whether it's forced or, um, you know, just the events of this year sparking this re-examination of all of the structures that make up the world that we live in. I think this is, it sounds so cliche to say now, but, you know, unprecedented, pivotal, transitional, whatever we used to talk about this moment that we're in. This year, 2020, has definitely created a, a kind of leveling of the art world and, and so many other industries, but it does seem like there has been this sort of reckoning amongst art institutions. I mean, aside from the overall financial strain that many are under having to lay off or furlough many arts workers, they're also being forced to examine the structure or entire business model in some cases from, you know, museums being called out for racial inequity to art schools that are dealing with enrollment and retention issues, trying to reinvent themselves to exist or compete in the world of online education. So it just feels like we're all kind of struggling to adapt. And at least from our point of view, this creates an even more essential need for resources like our World Conference um, and a kind of urgency for us with the podcast. So I'd also be interested to hear in light of this year, maybe how has this crystallized or maybe put into focus the, the mission of Art World Conference? You know, has that changed at all for you all or maybe just amplified it? I mean, I'll say that um, Dexter and I have had these conversations over the last few months, and maybe this is, again, too candid, but um, about how in the past we had conversations sort of behind closed doors about like social justice issues and things like that. And in the language that we were using, maybe in, when we were speaking, we would use some of those same words, but in the, the, the written like literature or text around what we were doing, we were sort of kept it pretty neutral. And I think the past year has sort of given us the confidence, maybe we want to use a different word, but the confidence to maybe be more direct with what we're doing. Like for instance, we were supposed to have a conference in May in New York City. And obviously that was canceled uh, for the obvious reasons. And one panel amongst many was a panel on the race wealth divide. And it was sort of like sandwiched in between a bunch of other different things. And then, you know, COVID came around, you know, all the protests, the George Floyd murder happened. And it became really obvious that this like kernel of something that we were sandwiching in between a lot of other things was something we should be focusing on a little more directly. We had also in Los Angeles had a uh, workshop on rebudgeting. And really what it was, was about, you know, reallocating resources to the things that you value. And it was very much what defund the police is about, but we would never have used that sort of language before, or we wouldn't have made that connection before that even in a personal budget or in your um, institution's budget, 
you're actually communicating your values. And so I think there were like little kernels of things that we were doing before that through the events since March, we were like, oh my God, this is like a larger, this is a larger conversation. Like this is something we need to be louder about. It's not something that's a kernel. It's like, it should be the focus. So I think that's why our online conference in October is focusing more on value and values. We've talked a lot about money so far in this podcast, but it's not just about money. It's about also like all the other forms of wealth that we have that are not just monetary and all the value that we hold as creative individuals. And like, how is that currency moving around too? And how are we all working together? The whole idea, I mean, I've been super inspired and this is also like a kind of recent thought, so it might not be very worked through yet. But today I was listening to a panel by um, the Wide Awakes. I don't know if you guys have heard about this group. It started by like Four Freedoms and Hank Willis Thomas, but it's not, it shouldn't be attributed to one person because that's the opposite of what they're about. It's about this really open platform for people to work on voting issues and social justice and all this other stuff. And you can, we can all be wide awakes and talking about this like decentralization of power and how if you give the, give tools to a large group of people like BLM has done where there isn't one particular leader, how like incredibly powerful that is and how it can give an example to a lot of these institutions. I feel like that's why, Nicole, you were just mentioning like these institutions are being criticized and kind of toppling and feeling the weight of themselves right now. And I think it's because they're so hierarchical and so top heavy and that structure just doesn't work. And and even if it's subconsciously, we're seeing these other groups um, evolve and take take over our consciousness that are decentralized and effective and like how interesting that is. So I'm, I'm curious like where we'll take that and how that will develop within our thinking. But it's definitely all of the events have like given us confidence to just be more direct, I think. It's funny. I was listening back earlier today because I realized we've talked a lot since we last recorded a conversation. So I was trying to remember the last or our, our first episode, and we definitely talked a lot about these issues of the gatekeepers and how it kind of creates this system of unequal power within the art world. And I was just thinking about listening to the conversation, like so much of these issues are even more obvious now than ever. And I'm grateful that we had like kind of started the conversation then and that we're continuing it now. I mean, I I wish we lived in a world where we didn't have to, but obviously now we're developing so much more language around how we can disrupt these systems and, and find ways to bring more power to the people, power to the individuals, as opposed to power to the very tippy top of these structures. I'm curious to see or to hear what you think about how kind of the art world in general is going right now and and if you if you have any thoughts about where where it's going well um plenty of thoughts i mean um <laughs> but where do one, where does one begin right this has been an interesting past week or so for for me because in the midst of everything that i've been working on with heather with with art world conference and 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 other initiatives that we're, we're working on within the umbrella of art world conference i have a lot of conversations with people in different parts of the country people working in the arts 
And it's kind of a funny week only because I've had at least four conversations with the directors of four different museums in different parts of the country that have thematically been quite similar in some regards. And those conversations have to do with like museums doing a lot of self-evaluation and thinking about like, what does it mean to actually be a museum in this day and age? And, and, and what should their staff look like and what should their board look like and, and how, and I, and again, they're not coming to me for answers. Don't, don't (laughs) misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm simply saying these are conversations I'm having with people that I don't think I would have been having a year ago or two years ago. Right. Um, I think there's a certain amount of, um, of candidness and vulnerability that a lot of people are feeling right now because they realize that people are not going to just take a press release as face value, right? Like people are really holding you to task. If you say you're a community facing organization, you have to be a community facing organization. If you say you believe in diversity, someone's going to check, right? Like there's no, there's no more of that sort of like, oh, well, you know, we kind of sort of, no, it's like, you really have to do it. And I, and I hope, I really hope we're in a time that is a transitional time and that this is not a time where it's just a moment in time, if you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Um, time will tell, right? We don't know, but I hope it's transitional. I hope things are changing. I think the structure of the art world as it relates to say the commercial side of the art world, it's gonna be much, much longer and more difficult to change than the say I would say the public facing nonprofit aspect of the art world. And and I think for obvious reasons, right? Private money does what private money wants to do. I mean, that's that's why it's private, <laughs> you know, oftentimes. Um, but if you're a public institution, you're a museum getting money from your state, taking donations from citizens of your country, you actually owe them something. Right. You, you actually owe them accountability. And so I think that what we're seeing now are organizations, nonprofit organizations, small and large, sort of looking inward and wanting to make sure that they are living up to the words that they have been saying all these years. And that, that's what I'm starting to see bubble to the surface, which is quite, is quite interesting. Yeah, it also makes me think about the friction in conversations happening within higher education right now as well um, between, you know, schools functioning at like businesses versus being of public service and, you know, a, a public good that everybody has access to. And so I think these are, again, conversations that have been happening for a while, but especially in this moment, I think when that business model is really being tested that these are coming to the forefront. You know, what does that look like for an art school to survive through a pandemic or a museum to be truly for the community that, you know, it's in? And it makes me think a little bit too, as we're talking about, you know, ways that institutions are sort of being upended that, you know, meanwhile, it seems like there has been this surge of mutual aid efforts um, or kind of collective more truly community-based efforts happening. And of course, that's also something that has sort of always existed um, within artist communities um, or sort of alternative economies. But we had done an episode earlier this year on mutual aid efforts during the pandemic, which you all helped to make happen behind the scenes uh, through your generous introduction to Carolyn Ramo from Artadia. 
But one thing that I think just has stood out to us is the ways that um, artists are banding together, or even small arts organizations are banding together, um, like in the example of Artist Relief. So I do really love this idea of stepping outside of the silos that we may have previously operated in or forming new partnerships or maybe unexpected collaborations. And I'm kind of wondering if you all have seen any other examples of this, whether in the form of mutual aid efforts um, or even just unique ways that artists or arts organizations are coming together to either extend their impact um, or even just survive. Um, I'm trying to think of different examples. I mean, I've recently, I mean, obviously those mutual aid efforts are are really obvious and and really powerful, I guess, and seeing like the amount of money that all those institutions could raise together when they actually joined forces and communicated. And I've heard a lot of <clears throat> about like other states and cities, like all the institutions in Philadelphia after their funding was cut, banding together and talking about what was happening and advocating for themselves together as a group and getting a lot of that funding back reallocated towards cultural institutions. That's been really inspiring. On small levels, I've seen, I mean, this is going to be on a teeny, teeny level, but former students getting together and doing like Zoom uh, studio visits together and giving each other feedback in ways that I don't think they would have if it, if it wasn't this situation currently and just really, really putting in an effort to give each other support. Um, I teach at Brown. And so there, there are a lot of students that are doing these really amazing efforts just for um, psychological support also, not just monetary. And yeah, and like groups of groups of artists getting together and doing studio visits and things like that, that are like pooling resources to actually make something happen. I'm trying to think of specifics and I'm having a hard time, but there, but I know it, I know it's happening around me. And I've also seen like new models. There was something interesting that came through my email yesterday. Um, like Kate Warble Gallery in New York is doing, I mean, we were talking about how these business models have to change. And even if it's private money, it's like, it's broken. It's very broken. So they're doing these artist commissions and this whole commission project where you can get a subscription to the gallery. I've seen more galleries on like Patreon and places like that, where they're, they're actually like mobilizing a community around them in a way that they didn't before. It used to be, you know, you walked in the doors and you left and you were separate, you're on their mailing list, but you weren't really part of the community necessarily. And now they're like, Hey, we need you guys. And do you need us? And so people are reaching out in a way to figure out different funding structures that don't rely on the sale of a unique object anymore, which I think is really interesting. And Lord knows how it'll develop over the next year. Yeah, that makes me think about the conversation we had with Patton Hindle from Kickstarter, um, which was also part of the Art World Conference series and I know has spoken at the conferences as well. But um, she was talking about some of the ways they were seeing specifically restaurants and other organizations uh, fundraising during this time and coming up with really unique sort of like virtual event series or ways to involve their patrons that, you know, didn't involve necessarily just purchasing a meal or coming out to a live event, but how to break up 
what the experience of being there was like to help cover operating costs. And then also just kind of outside of the pandemic, but how cultural organizations um, are also using, you know, platforms like Kickstarter to reach younger demographics and to try and, you know, bring in a wider variety of um, both funding, but also audience members. And so I'm curious if those those types of platforms, um, which we're seeing artists use or, you know, create projects out of or something that more um, arts organizations will also turn to for for more community support? I mean, I, I think they will. I mean, you know, I, and I also want to just say, to some degree, I have a tremendous amount of optimism about what happens on the other side of this pandemic. But I also think that right now, we're still very much in it, even though like with the news cycles, there's this tendency for everyone to sort of become a bit, you know, uh, jaded or, or just fatigued by the whole sort of you know, situation, but I think we're still very much in it. And the economic fallout as a result of this pandemic is something that we still don't quite know what that really means. I mean, I, I obviously I'll speak for myself. We don't, I don't know what that quite really means long-term for small businesses, small arts related businesses. And I think uh, by next spring or summer, there'll be a much clearer picture. In the meantime, you know, I've been observing some of the, you know, art world startups that are either small art fairs that have just launched or, or other entities. And, you know, they're having, a, they're having a tough time, you know, getting, getting traction because, you know, even though they would like to be more collaborative with galleries or more collaborative with artists, um, there are a lot of people that are sort of in uh, a bit of a survival mode right now. I do see examples of, of small arts organizations coming together sort of with a shared mission to kind of deal with some of the like more short-term COVID-19 pandemic related challenges. But I'm, I'm very I'm curious to see what the next uh, six to nine months holds. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't really have predictions, but I'm quite, but I'm quite curious to see where it all goes because I do believe we're very much still early in this, even though it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe this is a good segue to talk about the upcoming virtual conference that you all are planning. And I'm specifically interested to hear about the theme or the title because we have touched on this idea of value in a couple of different ways um, while we've been talking. But I wondered if we could talk about the theme of defining value and defining values. What does that mean to you all? And maybe how how has the theme evolved over the course of this, the last couple of months? So uh, when putting this together, we started to think about, um, like I said before, a little bit, like some of the programs that we were really passionate about that we had um, done in previous conferences or online workshops that just seemed to make sense with the overall tenor in the country um, and how it would just became so painfully obvious when listening to the news that there's this, you know, inextricable link between where you're putting your money and your moral compass, I guess. And it's easy to to sort of like push it aside sometimes and just do what you need to do and buy what you need to buy and use Amazon and like, and then throw it out of your head. But at the same time, like maybe we should stop and think about this a little more and like, where are we, what are we valuing? And does that relate to our, our values? Um, 
And in the art world, I think it's really important because while a lot of people value culture and the arts and and talk about it all the time and COVID made it super obvious. I mean, if anyone out there is doing homeschooling, it's like all about art projects and music and how do you engage the kids with more art projects and more music and crafts. And everyone was coming out with a new craft kit for your kids. And it's like, so this is really important. Like, this is what we all need right now. But like, why aren't we paying the people who make this art and this craft like a living wage? So I think anyway, so I think that's where it was coming from. And then we chose a bunch of speakers and asked for their their generosity again um, to, to come and share their experiences and their thoughts. And so there were a lot of workshops. And I think a lot of the the speakers if we had asked them to do the same thing last spring before COVID, they would have executed in a very different way. Like for instance, we were just talking about Kickstarter and Kickstarter is gonna come up again. Um, Daniel Sharp, who worked with Patton, works, still works with Patton Kickstarter. He's gonna be doing a, a workshop on crowdfunding, not just about Kickstarter, but crowdfund, crowdfunding in general. And he just wrote to me today about the examples he's using are these, um, examples of community oriented things that are, it's about operational costs. It's about like something that Kickstarter never did before. Anyway, the examples are, are timely and interesting and really political. Um, that not wouldn't necessarily have happened last spring or last winter. And our panels are people who we think are extraordinarily forward thinking, who are not just thinking about the current situation, but the future. And like they're we think that they're actually building that future and based on their values. So I'm really interested to hear what they what they have to say. And Dexter, I don't know how it relates to you, but that's that's sort of where I was coming from. I feel like the whole the conversation in the country really informed where we went with the, the direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, were it not for the pandemic, our thinking around our 2020 conferences uh, would have been different in the same way that I think most of our lives would have been different, right? Um, <laughs> there's something um, about a crisis, yeah. both a health crisis and then a social justice crisis and then an economic crisis, you know, all kind of happening at the same time that really makes you uh, look at what you're doing professionally and ask yourself some really important questions. And I think the question that we began asking ourselves back in, uh, in April and May were what is the value that we're actually bringing to the art world? Like, what are we really um, attempting to do here? Um, and it's one thing to talk about helping people get business information, business savvy and sort of marketing and, and, and personal finance information, which is still incredibly important, incredibly important. But in the here and now, I think that there's almost an, sort of a, to some degree, like an existential crisis that's centered around like, should one even remain in the art world? I mean, I, I had, I've sort of had conversations with people who are sort of like reevaluating whether or not they even want to continue being an artist or whether or not they could continue teaching in the arts and just all these different things. And, and I think that art in and of itself is an incredibly important part of society as, as does Heather. And, and, and the idea that we are in a position to give a platform to people who are invested in different aspects of not just art making, but organization making and, and really 
allow them to talk about different ways to look at this issue, to look at art, look at the arts from different angles. That was like the aha moment in a way where it was sort of like, okay, so we know we're going to do a conference. And if the conference is going to have, pardon the pun, any value to anyone, then the conference has to sort of like be completely transparent about this idea of value. What is the value of the art world? What is the value of our labor? What is the value of, of creativity? What's the value of you know this entire ecosystem that we're existing in on the academic side, on the creative side, on the commercial side, all those aspects. And so our October conference is a, um, a really <laughs> bold attempt at examining so many different aspects of the art world. Uh, if you look at the agenda, it's so good, but it's also so unbelievable in the sense that if I thought about, if I looked at this agenda two years ago, I'd be like, no one can do that. That's crazy. You can't pull that off. <laughs> and I look at what we're, we're attempting to do next month. I mean, you know, there are workshops around like parent, being a parent in the art world, which is something that I've been dealing with a lot the entire time I've been in the art world. <laughs> You know, but I haven't seen too many conversations about like, like, what does it mean to be a parent and working in the art world, right? Because so much about the art world is about like being 22 and not being a parent, right? <laughs> so um, things like that. And then also thinking about, as, as Heather mentioned earlier on in our discussion, like the, the race wealth divide and how something like the race wealth divide, you could think about outside of the context of the art world very easily, but it is really an issue that is so, so connected to the art world in such a deep way that I'm excited to see what kinds of conversations spring out around that as well. And so I'm just super enthusiastic about it because, um, because there's so many different modules um, to the conference. I remember when Nicole and I first got a look at the schedule to kind of see about our own participation, we were just like, well, I would I would want to be a part of any of these conversations. They all look so good. And I know we're really excited to attend in addition to participating. How are some of the ways that preparing for a virtual conference has been, how, how has that been a shift? Because I know in our last conversation, we were talking so much about wanting to get people together in person, which obviously is not a thing we can do right now safely. So I'm curious how you're taking the same values behind putting Art World Conference together in the first place and bringing that into the virtual space. Well, uh, I think what's ironic about, about the whole situation, what's so ironic about it is that were it not for the, the pandemic and the fact that everyone, not everyone, but so many people have been on Zoom for the past several months, sort of like whether they like it or not, they've had to yeah. sort of like interact with the internet in a very, very different way. It really allowed us to have confidence that we could pull off a completely online conference because so many of the people that we would invite to speak normally to an in-person conference, if we had attempted to do a fully online conference two years ago, they would have said to us, there's no way I would do that. Right. They would say, there's no way I'm going to be on Zoom with three or four other people talking to hundreds of people for an hour. But now I think that people are much more comfortable being in an online setting, uh, like a, a virtual setting uh, for a conference. So I think we're in a good place, I think, as it relates to that. Yeah. Oh, but I'll add it's horrible. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, come on. It's like, it's terrible. So thinking about, yes. So people are like, oh, Zoom, I know it. I get it. I can do it. Done it before. I've shared my screen. That's good. But the anxiety that I have going into this is so much higher than the in-person one. And what's funny though, is that the in-person one, we had tech issues. Like there was no sound in the back of the auditorium at the beginning of our first conference, like for hours. And we were troubleshooting that the entire time and didn't know what to do. Here, we're actually getting to hire, and this is like an announcement, whatever, a, an ad for Zoom pilots. There are people called <laughs> Zoom pilots that you can hire, which are making me sleep at night. Like they will be there. And if something crazy happens, they're going to be troubleshooting the tech. So like learning about Zoom pilots has been a learning curve and like hiring them and then feeling good about it. That's like a big deal for me personally. But the, the whole idea about a uh, I mean, you go to a conference to meet people, right? Like that's the whole point was like, put aside this time. We're going to have everyone put aside the time and think about things they don't like to think about, like their taxes and whatever else. Like, But if yeah. you give yourself a whole day where you have to think about your taxes and you have to think about saving and you have to think about, then maybe you'll actually do it. Well, now you can like go get a snack and be at your fridge and be homeschooling your kid while you're listening to the conference. And that like terrifies me because the point is that you're... I, we want people to focus and actually think about themselves and think about their practice and think about how they can be more self-sufficient and, but also be community oriented at the same time. Like it's a, it's a tough balance to reach. And so how do we get people talking to each other? How do we have networking quote unquote, like in an online conference? It's like, I feel like those tools are being developed right now so that online conferences next year are going to have more of that integration. There are tools out there, but I think Dexter and I are like absolutely petrified of um, speed dating, like Zoom conference um, apps that are out there. They exist. You can you can do that to people. Like I could put you guys <laughs> all in a room and then like and like take a hundred people and be like, now you have to talk to this other person, this stranger for 10 minutes. Um, but I know personally, I would like be like, leave, leave, leave meeting, leave meeting. Like the second that someone put me in that. So we're not going to do that to anyone else right now. But I feel like hopefully there'll be other things developed. I just heard about Kalani Nicole, who did Transfer Gallery. I don't know if you guys know her, but she's developed over the summer, these video lounges online where they sh you show art. It's, I think I haven't experienced one yet, but like an AR VR sort of experience oh, where you cool. can go and actually chat with people. That kind of thing is going to be amazing, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be ready for, for us in time for what we're doing. Um, so right now we're just going to have to wing it and see what happens. And we're doing, we're doing the best we can. Yeah. I appreciate having been able to talk to you before your first ever conference. And now we're able to talk before your first virtual conference. So it'll be great to see years down the line as you're continuing your success to see where you've where you've come from here. <laughs> well, it does bring up something around accessibility, I think, whereas the other conferences were so localized, and you know, it made sense to start in these big hubs like New York or LA. But you know, I just think about now artists from anywhere that are able to access Art World Conference. So I wonder if that's something that you see as part of the the growth in the future. Um, you know, would this be maybe something that you hadn't previously considered that now you're looking to 
to expand our world conference? I mean, I think the answer, I think the answer is definitely yes, but, but there's a few things happening at once. I mean, I think on the one hand, if we had it our way, we would be able to do both, right? You know, we'd be able to do an in-person event and where and we're, um, necessary, we would do online things. But because there's absolutely no clarity around when someone could have three or 400 people shoulder to shoulder in a room, um, I have to just constantly remind myself that the world that I'm living in now is not the world that I was living in in 2018. <laughs> like all of those ideas have just completely evaporated. And so, you know, to your question, the benefit that I'm seeing now is that I get uh, emails and calls from people that are that will say things that they wouldn't have said about the in-person conference, sort of like, oh, there are, there are five or six artists I would really love to have a 10-year conference. Can I get them tickets? Because I know they could just like log in, right? Like they, they know they don't have to like that barrier that they have to like worry of whether or not the person's going to actually like get in the Uber or get on the train or get on the airplane for that matter and actually go yeah. to the conference. So I think it is opening up an audience to us that we might not necessarily have access to if it was an in-person event. But at the same time, to Heather's point, I think there is something quite magical about having people together in a space. And I secretly, deeply am yearning for <laughs> the possibility of that happening again sometime in the future. But I think that the online conference is a huge opportunity for us to reach a more international audience. I think that when we're able to put the resources there, um, I can see Art World Conference being available in multiple languages in, in due course. I can see us um, doing everything within our power to make sure that our content is available to people whether um, they, if they have any sort of impairment, it doesn't matter. We want to be as accessible as, as possible. Um, and I think that what's happened in the past few months, because we've had to kind of rewrite our entire playbook, has had us like look at all of these things from a different lens and be more um, assertive about being accessible and more assertive about how we translate what we're doing into like an online space. But, but yeah, you know, the last, the last five months have just been completely not anywhere close to what we thought they would be like last year. Not, e not even, in, not even the, in my wildest imagination, been completely different. Yeah. Yeah, I will say as far as accessibility goes, it does offer like closed captioning, for instance. We talked about that a lot with the past conferences and it's, it's expensive and we wanted to do it, but we didn't for the first two. We were going to do it in May, actually. But doing things online, like things like closed captioning, we chose Zoom because Zoom has a call-in. You can use a phone, not just a computer. So as far as internet connectivity, you don't need it to actually attend the workshops. So so as far as all that goes, that's exciting. That's like super exciting to me because there were, even though we said it's not gated and there aren't a lot of barriers, there were barriers, um, big ones like geography. <laughs> before. Um, and now, you know, now where we are actually more accessible, which is super exciting. One of the questions that I wanted to ask both of you um, that I'm thinking now maybe we'll table and serve as kind of a teaser for the conference itself. Um, but because you all are such visionary people and are bringing together so many other people with strong visions for the future, um, what do you envision for artists and the art world coming out of this? Um, and it sounds like the conference is really about 
examining some of these issues and, and having those conversations, which is ambitious and exciting. Um, so maybe a, a better question, if that seems too broad to answer, are just, you know, what what are some of the larger conversations that you think we need to be having um, within the arts community? Um, or maybe what are some of the, the sessions or examples of topics that are being covered um, that you would want to share? I think that uh, one of the most important um, things I want to bring up about the, the schedule for the upcoming conference are our keynotes. We have um, some really great people involved. Um, Dario Calmis is one of our keynotes. He made history earlier this year by being the first black photographer to shoot the cover of Vanity Fair. And I, I want to say almost a hundred year history, something wow. quite insane One, amount. Of, 106 two. year history. Yeah, 106 wow. year history of Vanity Fair, which is quite amazing. Um, he shot um, the actress uh, uh, Viola Davis for the, uh, the cover of Vanity Fair. And um, also um, a great author named Andre Perry, whose new book is called Know Your Value. And, um, and, and he's also gonna talk about the, the connection between the race wealth divide and how that connects to different aspects of the art world and other aspects of entertainment and culture. And so, um, you know, those are two things that I'm very, very excited about. And then there's a whole list of other people that are involved and maybe Heather can chime in. Um, we're also going to close with a keynote with Kemi Osanmi from Laundromat Project and uh, Gonzalo Casals, who's the Commissioner of Arts and Culture for New York City, and sort of asking them how we're changing these structures, you know, because we can all have these conversations on a grassroots level. But if government is still not valuing the arts, then isn't that, that's the atmosphere that we're all living in. That's the funding structure we're all living in. So what are they in particular doing to sort of change that? Or do we have to do it on our own? Is, is all lost. Like we, so that's what we're going to talk about that. Um, but some of the things that I, I, Again, I think I might have said this last time. It's like kids, like I don't want to say that I like anything more than anything else, but something related to what I said before, just talking about decentralization in the art world and thinking about community on a really practical level and how we can all actually help each other and be create more equitable structures. I am super excited for actually I think Amanda or Nicole, one of you guys is going to introduce it. I think it's about um, like solidarity and labor. Is that you, Nicole? I think that's cool. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very excited for that one. Yeah, so you're going to be introducing that one and um, moderating questions. And I'm excited to hear about that because I think it's something we're all thinking about when we're thinking about all these institutions being dismantled and critiqued and even on a smaller level, galleries, the business model not really working. How are we all like sort of working together to make sure this works for the whole community, not just ourselves. Really excited about that. And actually one of the other ones is the one Amanda is going to be introducing and moderating. It's about, you know, valuing the intangible and ephemeral stuff, because I feel like artists, especially in the last like six months, a lot of the work that's being done is, is not necessarily object related. There's a lot of thinking going on and a lot of mobilizing and a lot of activism and a lot of social justice work happening. And there are artists doing a lot of that work. And how, what, what kind of currency does that hold? Like, I, I hope that's what they end up talking about. So, so I'm excited and maybe using historical examples, like how can we take historical examples of ephemeral work 
can we apply that to current the current situation and the current work that's being made? So those are examples of two conversations that I'm really excited to attend. Two very good ones that will be, you know, introduced and guided slightly by two very good podcast hosts. No. <laughs> yes, and thank you so much for doing it. We're super excited you guys will do it. We are so excited to participate. And and something else I wanted to add, you know, you know, I, I'm I'm just really excited by the enthusiasm of everyone that's involved um, in the conference. I mean, this is a very difficult time for so many people, and I've just found that the response to what we're doing and the responses that we're getting from our our speakers and presenters have just been, you know, so really great. And I and I feel that people are going to come with their best. They're going to like bring their best selves to this. I really do believe that it's going to be a fantastic experience. Yeah, I know we're really excited to participate in this conference and attend this conference. Um, Is there anything that we haven't mentioned about this upcoming October conference that you would want to make sure to talk about? (laughs) Well, I don't know if you're going to add this into the podcast uh, or not, but it is uh, not only is it different because it's online, but it's also quite different because in terms of the format, it's not as if uh, we're just taking our uh, in-person conference and just doing the same thing online. Um, we're really attempting to use uh, the tools at our disposal in a different way. You know, in, in our past uh, couple of conferences, you know, there's been one day that's been, you know, fully like chock full of panel discussions or what have you. And then there's another day that may be some more, more breakout sessions or, what, or whatnot. But in this particular case, it's two days that are really, really hard to choose from. Like you really want to experience both of them. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a welcome party. <laughs> um, you know, doing a welcome party on Zoom is something I'm still a little suspicious about. So we don't have a welcome party, but um, I, I'm, I'm, very, um, I'm very excited about what we're, what we're gonna present. And there was also something, I didn't mention it before, that we were hoping that discussion, like really, like discussion would happen in the hallways or happen at lunchtime or happen after you left with the people you were leaving with. And so we didn't ever schedule in like discussion because we thought that was a little too like artificial or, or forced, but we're doing it for online, which is kind of funny. Um, so before the conference starts both days, there will be discussions and those for anyone out there who's interested uh, there are two discussions on Friday and two on Saturday morning, noon to one Eastern time. They're going to be free and open to the public, actually. You have to RSVP, but you'll be able to like join a discussion that will hopefully start people thinking about the topics that are going to be, or, or provide a lens, I guess, through which to view maybe some of the programs that happen after. And I, I hesitate to mention this part because... I want everyone to participate live because almost everything is live, will be live and there'll be Q&A possible. So I want there to be like, I was going to say bodies present. Like I want there to be rectangles present for um, all these workshops. And I want people to have video on and like be super excited and ask questions and be engaged. But 
we will have the recordings available for 48 or 72 hours, depending on which ticket you get. And so there will be a chance to like look back on what you've already seen, I hope, or see something that you weren't able to see because you had a prior commitment or something. Um, and that's something that we were never able to offer with the live conferences that we're excited about for, for in-person. But that said, the recordings still show up and be present and like ask questions live. Yeah, I think that's great advice because it makes me think about even the the process of recording podcasts. Like we really try and be engaged and present for the conversation. So we have, you know, some loose topics, but we don't like to have a generic list of scripted questions. And so we really just try and be in it. But then it's always on listening back that I feel like we are able to fully absorb everything that was talked about. And it always, mm-hmm. you know, gives us a new perspective. So even just being able to attend live and then revisit Um, a session that really stood out or maybe, you know, took a little bit longer to process because these um, topics, some of these topics are so dense and um, so full that um, is a real kind of unique benefit of it existing online too. If someone is attending the conference, do they, would they be able to gain access to lectures afterwards whether they attended those specific ones or not or is it just like revisiting the lectures that you attended you can attend anything so you can get everything yeah the whole program will be there so I'll say one of the the points of feedback that we got from the live conferences which was supposedly negative feedback but I thought I found it to be really positive feedback it was oh there's more than one workshop I wanted to attend at the same time and I didn't get to attend Mm -hmm. both of them and I'm really mad that I didn't get to attend both of them or three of them and I was like woohoo we did our job yay like you actually (laughs) wanted to attend more than one that's like a positive yeah um and that was like a woohoo moment for for me for us this time if you wanted to attend two at the same time you can attend one and you can watch the other one later so you just have to decide which one you want to ask questions at and which one you want to view and that is so unbelievably valuable I know I definitely felt that way when we when Nicole and I went to New York where we were like oh I want to I want to be at both of these okay I'll go to this one you go to this one we tell each other what we learned and we were able to like divide and conquer but since you couldn't solve the problem of not being able to be in multiple places at once, this is a great solution. So, yeah, you know, and I and I and I think that's probably like common um, with a lot of conferences, right? Like if you have different tracks of things going on, that is going to inevitably be the thing that you wished you could go to, but you're committed to doing something else. I mean, I don't really think there's any like way around that other than what we're attempting to do, and that is to make. Uh, the video from the thing that you couldn't attend available to you later. But also we're still we're also, also still learning about how we want to present all of this. You know, just kind of keep in mind, you know, in March we were still planning to do an in-person conference in May. Yeah. <laughs> so so if you think about that timeline that we are actually now just, you know, less than four weeks away from our first completely online event when just four months ago, we were still thinking about doing an in-person event. It's quite quite something. Yeah, that's a real pivot. Yeah, that seems to be the theme of this year is just losing track of time and then not being able to believe what what has happened in the span of time that's actually passed. Well, we're really looking forward to it. Before, well, I guess one um, final question would just be where can people find out more about the conference? How can they register for it? what would the next steps be? 
just go to artwallconference.com. I think that's the, like the simplest thing that you can do. And just right at the top of our World Conference website, there's a banner you can click and it'll take you right to our website that's dedicated to the October conference. And certainly if you don't see that, you could just go into uh, upcoming events on the on the website. It's fairly easy to find. And um, also you should follow us on Instagram, Art World Conference, at Art World Conference on Instagram, very easy. Um, we try to keep it very, very simple and easy for people to find us and to find out what we're doing. We'll include links to all of this with the show notes so that anyone listening can literally just open up the show notes and click the link and it'll go straight to your Instagram, to the website, to registration. If you missed it last year when we attended in person, we kind of followed along on social media as we were going through the conference and kind of sharing some insights and we'll be doing that again. And this time we'll actually be participating in the conference. So you'll be getting even more perspective from it. Uh, So we're really excited to have been able to turn this from like, we're fans of what you do and we appreciate you putting this conference on to now being able to be collaborators and to really see just how you're growing as, as business partners and, and being able to pivot through this really wild year. Um, and, and can I add something a little out of context? I don't know if you'll use this, but um, I want to talk about you guys for a moment. So it's interesting to me um, because when we, Heather and I, um, first met you guys and we did that interview a long time ago. It feels like such a long time ago at this point. Right. I wasn't I wasn't sure about like what Beyond the Studio was really about and what you were doing. And over the course of the past year or so, um, I paid a you know very, very close attention to Beyond the Studio. And I just want <laughs> to say to both of you, I, I just think that what you're contributing to the art world is incredibly important and that I have not only learned a lot, but also been inspired by what you're doing as well. And I have no idea what the challenges are that you face doing what you do, but I can only imagine what they are. And uh, the fact that you're doing it at such a high quality and high level um, says to me that whatever those challenges are, you both are meeting those challenges and just kind of like, you know, staying the course and and, and delivering and, and living up to your mission. So I just want to say, you know, I'm so happy that we've connected and we've had this opportunity not only to talk to you, on the podcast, but to get to know both of you and to now reach a point where you're involved, you're doing. And I think that that's really what this is all about, right? Um, You asked the question earlier about people sort of uplifting one another and collaborating. And I think like this is a primary example of that. The four of us, we don't have a history that predates meeting a year and a half ago and talking about, you know, beyond the studio and our world conference. And frankly, the only time we've ever been in the same room was at our world conference in April of 2019. Yet we've maintained this, this communication and this relationship that is continuing to evolve. And I think like that's an example of what this is all about. So congratulations to you guys. Trying to make us cry over here. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Thank you. That really means so, so much to us. Um, You have no idea. I think, I I hope there's a lesson in that too for people that are listening because, I mean, we just had a conversation with Abdu Ali, a Baltimore-based musician, performance artist, just amazing artist. And so much of their message was based around just just starting projects that you want to see happen and and making things happen, um, not waiting for permission. And so I just thought that was so beautiful and something that, you know, we try and 
live by a little bit. I think when we started the podcast and even now, it's probably a lot more DIY than people think. We don't have a huge recording studio or really fancy equipment, but I think just, you know, that goes back to that artist spirit that I think we all have is just having a vision for what you want to create um, and then you know, doing a little bit of research, asking for help when you need to, and just looking at who's around you that's doing similar work that might be able to partner with that on, um, like Amanda and I have done, and um, Heather and Dexter, you all have done. And so I think that's something I would just want to impart to listeners. Um, But also, if it's okay to share just a little bit of the backstory, because I think over the course of you know, episodes, we've sort of alluded to this partnership and talked about collaborating. And we talk in general a lot on the podcast about using creative projects as a means of expanding your own creative network or creative community. Um, But I don't know if we always share really concrete uh, examples of what that looks like. So I would just love to share with listeners too a little bit of of that backstory, um, because Amanda and I have been fans of both of your work for a really long time. And when we saw this conference being put together, it was immediately something that we wanted to to learn more about. And the podcast just happened to be that avenue that you know gave us an excuse to reach out and invite you both to have a conversation so you know having a a kind of existing project going that allowed us to bring other people into the fold was one piece of it and then I think for us taking that next step of attending the conference in person um, felt really big for us Uh, you know I'm based in San Francisco Amanda lives in Baltimore, um, so it wasn't exactly local, but, you know, I had applied for the CCI Quick Grant, actually, that um, I know you all have advertised for other conferences and is also something that if, you know, artists are looking to attend the virtual conference, they can apply for if they're in California. Um, But that's what, you know, covered part of my travel to go to the initial conference and Amanda was able to take the train up. So, you know, that created a space for us to learn more and just connect further with what you all were doing and to meet in person. So it really was just that that little step I think of furthering the relationship and keeping in touch via email um, sharing what we were doing and then maybe Amanda can help fill in some of the gaps here Um, but I I think that is part of what led into a conversation about inviting some of the speakers from um, past conferences onto the podcast and you know having done that a couple of times when you all were getting ready to launch the LA conference um, it sort of became an opportunity that we could cross promote and you know, invite new guests to come onto the podcast, um, but also share more about what was happening at the conferences. I guess I know when we went to the conference, we really just wanted to learn and to try to bring some of the knowledge that we gained to the podcast. And so we were so grateful that y'all were open to even talking to us in the first place. And then now a year and a half later, We've had so many conversations behind the scenes, and it's funny. I feel like I've seen and spoken to you guys more than I've seen or spoken to most people this year, (laughs) and so it's been really great to be able to keep in touch with you guys, but I really could just strongly identify that shared goal and value of wanting to just give the power back to artists and to to give that autonomy back to them and, and help artists know I say them, it's us, but like help us know that we can make those choices and we can build these lives for ourselves and being an artist can be a life and a job and a career path that can be successful and it's really hard to find those tools and so being able to 
you know, collaborate with some or with a couple of people that also agree with wanting to help find those tools and hand them to, to artists as well as ourselves. Um, it made perfect sense. So I'm grateful that we have this collaboration. Um, and I look forward to seeing where we continue to support each other moving forward. Yeah, same here. But yeah, I just want to thank you guys. I mean, you know, I, I just think that this is the beginning of something that we're just figuring out where it's all going. Well, we'll I think time will tell, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, six months ago, I had no idea which way the wind was blowing on so many things, you know. So here we are, we, we you know, we'll, we'll see what the next six months bring. Right. Yeah. I always find it to be so funny and interesting to like think back because you guys don't know this, but Beyond the Studio has been on my professional practice syllabus for the last couple of years. So like before I ever met you guys, I actually do have a list of podcasts to listen to for students and Beyond the Studio is on there. So it just is weird to like think back when I like typed that into my syllabus a couple of years ago <laughs> that now we're having this conversation now. So it's funny the way the world works, but we do... The art world is small, and so it's yeah. it's great when we're all being generous. It will help. It will help everybody. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and if anyone's not aware, Heather has an amazing book that's also a resource for artists called Art Slash Work, um, which I feel like I've personally used for years, um, but now recommend it to artists all the time um, through my work in career development. And um, we even I think gave away a copy on the podcast in season one, um, which feels like a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I remember too, in your story, just all of the kind of ways that, um, your paths had intersected before you started collaborating on art world conference. So I guess just to reiterate for anyone listening, even though this feels like a really isolating time, just again, the, the nature of our collaboration has been virtual, uh, for a couple years now almost. So, um, really before the pandemic and, this this could also be an opportunity to reach out to those people whose work you admire um, that maybe you have some hope for working together with in some way in the future um, that, you know, those relationships can can build on themselves over time. And so, again, we're excited about the conference for creating a platform for those things to happen. But I think every artist that's listening should feel empowered to to just make those connections because you never know where they'll lead. Well, Dexter and Heather, thank you so, so much again for joining us. Um, We're just so grateful to have had you on the podcast and excited for the conference. Same here. Same here. We really, really appreciate Um, it. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. Is that so loud too? Yeah, I'm so sorry, guys. Oh, no, don't even worry about it. It's fine. Our our podcast is constantly having weird background sounds, and especially now, if listeners haven't come to accept that we are doing the best that we can, and it's just, it is what it is, then... <laughs> they're listening to the wrong show. (laughs) Before we dive into this week's episode with... mm, (laughs) You sounded great. I said with with special guests. Oh. Boy, this is going to take a minute.